I was prepared for their questions. I, you know, we didn't have Shark Tank available to us in 97, where you watch, you know, yeah. Mr. Wonderful and Mark Cuban ask these, these entrepreneurs all these great questions. We had to figure it out on our own. And yeah. the, back in those days, the idea of being an entrepreneur wasn't cool, it wasn't sexy, it wasn't on, on CNBC. It was, well, you have this crazy vision, you've got it, it's burning within you. If you don't take action of it, it's gonna literally eat you alive and consume you. But really, a lot of entrepreneurs I knew at the time were completely people who were totally unemployable because they were the weird ones of the world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Caged Vision Podcast with very, very special guest all the way from Detroit, Todd Palmer. Todd, thank you and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Todd, we love having uh, leaders and mentors and coaches, uh, but you've done it. You've not only done it w once or twice or three times, you've done it six times and I'm referencing the Inc. 5000 uh, list that you've just been uh, continuously crushing. So if we're going to hear it from someone, we want to hear it from somebody who's been extremely successful. So thank, well, thank you. you. Well, yeah. oh, absolutely. It's a, uh, it, it's, it hasn't always been successful. So this, this should be a good conversation. Well, I, you know what, that's where the growth is. And I want to get into that uh, in a little bit, but I want to start off with something that's maybe a little uh, silly, but we like to do it just to sort of warm up the guest here. Steak or fish? Steak. Steak, definitely. Well, for the listeners, I'm looking at Todd. He's a big, strong dude, so I knew he was going to say steak. <laughs> All right, beach, beach or mountains? Uh, beach. Oh, very nice. East or west coast? Uh, west. Family's there. Ah, okay. Well, I like that. I like that. Whereabouts? Uh, Laguna Hills, California. Oh, I love California. I don't yeah. know that I love the taxes, but I like to visit. It's, it's the taxes and the traffic that turn most away. It's the, it's the weather and the people that bring everybody there. Yeah, I've heard it called a weather tax, and I thought that was yeah. brilliant because it really yeah. is, right? What? Um, so good. So listen, I know you've got amazing stories. I want to go through, and I want to – this is called the Caged Vision Podcast. And our listeners, man, they're just uh, – they're stuck on go, or they've got something. It's an idea. And really, we're trying to build um, confidence and provide encouragement to them so that they don't start down a path that really hadn't been thought through and they don't just always stay on go. We have to get off of that and move. So we're, we're just telling stories and talking about how you did it. So take me back to through the way back machine to the first time you knew you had a vision for a company that you were going to own, you were going to run, you were going to be the guy. Take me there and, and, and take me, uh, through the thought process? How long did you uh, sit on go? Did you just jump out there and do it? Take me there. Well, th this would, uh, I started my company in 1997 and I was 27 years old wow. and I was kicking the idea around for about two years and it really started from a very different spot than most people think. Um, I got, I became a single parent at the age of 24. Oh, wow. And I realized that trying to be a stellar employee and succeed in my career, travel, and uh, attain a certain sense of financial success was in direct contrast to how much time, effort, love, and attention a child needs. Mm. So I was in that, that quandary that a lot of parents go through of being you know, career-focused, family-focused, and I still had the, the misconception of work-life balance 
Now I'm a much bigger believer in work-life integration. And uh, I thought the best way for me to really do that would be to start my own business because what it would give me back is control of my schedule. At least that's the, the story I would tell myself. <laughs> that's, that's so interesting because uh, the day I started my business, I, I mean, I thought I had worked hard in the past, right? And then I thought, oh my God, I laughed. I literally sat there and laughed. Did you have the same experience? Well, five years into it, I'm like, yeah, that was the world's worst plan ever. <laughs> I mean, who thought this through? And the other thing I did recognize is I had a lot of ideas. I had a lot of opinions. Mm. And in, in the, the space I was in, in the staffing and human capital space, those ideas weren't welcome. Uh, I, was a, I was kind of a fly in the ointment. I was kind of a pain in the butt. And I was a chaos creator. But if you take those, those negative traits in the corporate world, in the entrepreneurial world, those are pretty powerful strengths to have. I just hadn't realized it yet. So is that the industry you came out of? Yeah, I, I started a staffing business. I actually started yeah. a temporary help company. And yeah. it was interesting in 97, it was like today here in 2019, the country is at full employment. And I came up with this process to, you know, to, to drive a lot of headcount. I used to pick people up at their homes and butt vans and buses, all this stuff going on, trying to be all things to all, all people all the time. And, you know, it got, we were up and running. We, we, I, my business, I wrote a business plan, believe it or not. I had enough discipline to do that. Business plan said I needed $140,000 capital infusion to start. And I said, um, yeah, no one's going to give a newly divorced, single dad, 27 years old, 150 grand. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So a buddy of mine said, Hey, why don't I loan you the money? What do you need? And I said, I need 150. He was like, when you come back with a realistic number, uh, let me know. So I literally borrowed $15,000, started in the back office of someone else's space with a phone and a desk, and boom, I was off and running. So what, what did, I mean, I'm interested, and then I'm going to take us a little off course here, but when, when what was it that required $150,000? It was, no, yeah, no, it was, well, staff, salaries, um, the, the infrastructure for, you know, an office space and rent and all these different yeah. things. Uh, workers' comp deposits, different things. Any, any, you know, I needed some income because obviously I had a child. Yeah. And what I, what I, what I quickly realized is, you know, when you don't have a whole lot of money, your innovation spikes a little yeah. bit, and you come yeah. up with something. Because once I, once I wrote the plan and once I put the the thoughts down on paper, I, I had to do it. I could mm -hmm. not, I could not not go forward. I love that. Okay, so right now we probably have some listeners where. Uh, they they talk about, they think about, they dream about things. What you did is so critically important and that you wrote it down. Right. Uh, now, now I, I don't know that it has to be a formal business plan, but tell me about your process of writing that down. What did it look like? Did you start with a skeleton? Did you just sketch out different? How, how did you do it? I, I bought, a, I bought a, a software program. Okay. And this is back in the days when it was you know, my, my little Apple computer sitting at my desk in my, in my condo. And I just started, but it, what, it, what it helped me do, the value of the plan was it helped me critically think through all the pieces of the structure of a business plan. So I hadn't really thought about that. I'm like, oh, okay, I need that. And don't know if I really need that. Oh, marketing is going to be a pretty big expense. And how do we, you know, moving the dials around a little bit. So it helped me think through what I needed. So when I did go talk to a bank and when I did talk to other people, I was prepared for their questions. I, you know, we didn't have Shark Tank available to us in 97 where you watch, you know, yeah. Mr. Wonderful and Mark Cuban ask these, these entrepreneurs all these great questions. We had to figure it out on our own. Yeah. And the, back in those days, the idea of being an entrepreneur wasn't cool. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't on, on CNBC. It was, well, 
you have this crazy vision you've got it's burning within you if you don't take action of it it's going to literally eat you alive and consume you but really a lot of entrepreneurs i knew at the time were completely people who were totally unemployable because they were the weird ones of the world isn't that funny because i can remember that day as well if you were an entrepreneur you were unemployable or uh you couldn't find the right it just it was just you're a dreamer there wasn't this um, this wonderful association with the brand now. Yeah, it, it, the, because they're head and brand. It, I mean, yeah. it's just, it, when I look back and, you know, now being an entrepreneur is seen as kind of this, this glamorous thing in the eyes of some, in the eyes of others, it's seen as thing. Again, back to the crazy people. Right. Um, it's nowadays, it's such a situation where a lot of people see entrepreneurship as a way of creating wealth, as a way of creating an impact. Yeah. And like with the clients I coach now in my business, I often have to help them. They had so many expectations of what entrepreneurship would look like. Well, the intention of entrepreneurship versus the expectation of entrepreneurship is so much more powerful because I don't know what your experience has been, but the the path I set on and the path I ended up on are almost 360 degrees different of what I thought it would be. Yeah. It ends up that way. You start one way and you, and, and often, well, I've found, you can be successful, but say, I don't like the success that I'm having. Uh, I've been there. I, 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 totally, I totally get it. Just, just because I'm good at something doesn't mean I want to be doing it all the time. Yeah. And it, it's very, very challenging when you, know, you essentially, like a lot of us do, you end up building a business. And with those businesses come employees, come rent, come tax payments. and all the, you, you have these commitments to other people. But oftentimes what we don't realize is what we're really starting off in the beginning is we're building ourselves a job. And then that job expands beyond our capacity. And then that capacity requires the help of others. And I have a a client of mine literally said the other day, they're they're about 5 million in revenue right now. And they said, we have the world's largest lemonade stand put together by by wire and chicken chicken wire and and sticks. He goes, we actually now, we have a company. Oh my gosh, I have 30 employees I'm responsible for. And I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So it, it, we just kind of like wake up one day sometimes and find out we've built a business. Yeah, well, that's so good. So you um, you started and uh, you figured it out. You, I guess it was, was it $15,000 that you ultimately cut back to? Yeah, I cut back to $15,000 tra- and I tracked every penny. Uh, I learned cash flow management very early. Mm-hmm. Um, and by day 72, we actually turned that corner and started making money. I love because, it. Because yeah, well, it was the ideal world. I had no idea how truly it was just... Dumb luck. Just I mean, like right place, right time, right process worked out really well. And that worked for a while. Essentially, it worked until it didn't work anymore. Yeah. Tell me when it didn't work anymore. Um, so when it didn't work anymore is a real, it's a painful story. And it's a, it's a story of a little bit of hubris on my part. I thought it all figured out uh-huh. that hubris quickly pivoted into imposter syndrome so when I didn't figure it out, I was very difficult for asking for help. Mm. So in about nine years into the run, because I'd always read, if you make it past that five-year mark, your business is going to have, have legs. So nine years in, 2006, we have a couple clients of ours go bankrupt to us. They stuck about $250,000, $300,000 in bad Ooh. debt with me. Ooh. And in the staffing space, so the people who are listening have a good construct, about 80%. So if a staffing company bills a dollar, 80% of that is tied up in wages, comp and governmental obligations so that uh, i mean it's a very it's a high volume low margin space we were in at the time so we had already front paid all that money 
to employees, to the government, to tax entities, to insurance entities. That money was gone. It wasn't something I could pull back. Mm. I got very, very much wrapped up in uh, what I wasn't doing well. And by September of 2006, I was $600,000 in debt. Mm. I was two months away from running out of all of my money, including losing my house. And I realized that kind of that crossroads moment in most entrepreneurs' lives is, you know, I was falling down the stairs, I was falling down the ladder, and I needed help. So I reached out and I actually hired a coach with the last credit card I had. Because I could not, I just, the, the option of failing, just, it, 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 I couldn't do it. And so I hired a coach. He took a look at the finances. He recommended I file bankruptcy. Oh he's, like, gosh. he's like, you're in bad shape. You're on life support. Um, but I think if we we're able to, to discharge a, a huge portion of this debt, we can turn this thing around. And I remember sitting at dinner with my son one night. He was, you know, nine, 10 years old at that time. And he says to me, you know, we're talking about this whole option. And he goes, well, are you going to file bankruptcy? And I looked at him and I said, no, I'm not. And here's why. I've always told you that you have to be a young man of your word. So if I go out and I don't pay the monies I promised to the bank and monies I promised to other vendors, I'm not a man of my word. So we are going to have some lean times, you and I, my friend, but I'm going to dig my way out of this. So I told the, um, told the coach, I'm not, I can't file bankruptcy. He goes, well, we've got to make some staff changes. I said, you're right. I've lost complete faith in the staff. I've lost complete faith in our processes. And I walked in and fired everybody in about 15 minutes and I started over. Holy Christmas. Um, uh, okay. We've got a lot of questions here. Let me unpack this a little bit. Um, how did you find the coach? Uh, put out through the network of people I knew and said, Hey, I'm looking for somebody who can help me in these areas. What, how did you know what areas? I mean, were, were you just at, 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 a, at a bottom where you said uh, you were at the point of self-reflection where you said, I can't pretend anymore. Oh, it was, it was a matter of, of self-reflection, like you said, but it was also a lot of self-hatred, self-loathing. I mean, I was, no, no one's a better kicker in my life than me. Yeah. I, I'm really, I've got that job is taken. I don't need to hire somebody for yeah. that job. Yeah. So I put it out through the, I was part of some associations and I said, I need the world's leading industry expert in staffing. Who, who's this, who is this guy? Cause I hadn't met him yet. Cause I didn't, you know, I don't need a coach. That's for other people. You know, I needed a coach and I found a guy and he didn't want to work with me. And ultimately what he said, he was like, he was like, yeah, your business was a disaster, but he was, but I, I believed in you. So for entrepreneurs listening today, you know, if people will certainly invest in your businesses, yes, but more importantly, even with the, the angel investors and the private equities I work with now, they invest in the entrepreneur first, the idea second, more often than not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, what do you think it is that is, was it a male? Was it a, yeah. Okay. What do you think it is he saw in you? Did, um, I, I think what well, we've talked about it and he, and he said, he goes, you were humble. You, you came in very coachable. If, if he would have said, I need you to do a hundred pushups a day, every day for the rest of your life, I'd still be doing hundred pushups just because yeah. that's the prescription. He had a track record of success. Mm. That's the thing. I, it drives me crazy about the coaching space that I'm in now. I run into a lot of people who've been entered into coaching relationships with somebody who's never done it before. Mm. And he had done it. He'd taken a little business and grew it to multi-millions and he, he retired at 49. Wow. I thought, oh, wow. One of the things I wanted the coach is like, huh, I want his life. I want what right. he's been. And, and so it's funny. I just, I'm going to be 51 in November and I just retired. So I'm a little bit, I didn't make 49, but I'm not waiting until 65 yeah. um, from that business. And so it, it was so important for me to, but we, we had chemistry. Mm. 
I, I believed in what he said. Uh, he, he was, he's about a dozen years older than I am. So he had a maturity. He had, he had, he had walked the path. He had credibility. And the fact of the matter is he didn't need me. I'm a, I was a gigantic pain in his butt. He wanted to help me in that sincerity. We, you know, so I couldn't get out of bed for at one point. It's like, literally, you got to go into the office. I'm like, I, I can't. He goes, we had to come up with, a, he called the step five-step plan. He goes, every day at five o'clock, I want you to send me five positive things you've done for the day. And I didn't do it one day. Boom, five o'clock, phone rings. Uh, I didn't get your text. What's going on? Well, I couldn't get out of bed. He's like, okay, so when you can't get out of bed at 8 a.m., you text me, I can't get out of bed. And we have a conversation and I coach you through the day. It's one of the things I loved about him is he was willing to get in the weeds with me every time I needed him to get me where I needed to go. I, I couldn't have done it without him. Oh, wow. Well, you've certainly built a case for a coach. Uh, I think most people um, get, get stuck on, I don't know who to ask for. So, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, but I want to, so that's, that's amazing. You started, you, you sort of got knocked down um, and you found your way back. What, what do you think separates those? The one thing that sort of separates those from that, uh, do it not only once, but do it multiple times and just get back up and start doing it again. You know, it, it, for me, I learned it, it very much. Uh, I, I'm a lifelong learner. Yeah. And I'm working the coach. And he said, well, what books are you reading? I said, I'm reading Good to Great by Jim Collins. He goes, all right, for the next 90 days, I want us to think about nothing other than the Stockdale Paradox, which is included in the book, mm-hmm. about how, how we confront our brutal reality. It's not the person who wakes up every day all just, you know, roses and sunshine and standing in the rain saying, it's not raining today. It's going to be a great day. Uh, no, it's raining today. <laughs> uh, so I have to walk from here to there. And if I slip and fall, I'm going to break my hip and it's going to be very painful. I need an umbrella. Okay. And, how, and so it was a lot of different, it was reframing my mindset that was a real big takeaway for me. He taught me to read the finances so I wouldn't get in the same problem. I was, I was giving insanely stupid terms, 120 days. I wasn't, I didn't have enough cash reserves to give 120 yeah, day terms. Yeah, it's a big flood. Uh, but what he really focused on is what's the one thing that you can be the best in the world at, which you think is, oh my gosh, the world's a pretty big place. Well, I just made my world Detroit. What's the best thing I could be in Detroit? Yeah. And we found it, an inflection point in a staffing space, even during the recession. I mean, 06 was bad, but 08, 09, 2010 were awful for everyone. And we were on the ink list those years. So we were growing against trend. I love we it. found that one spot where there was an, an increased demand, a diminished supply. We found the intersection point where we could charge more, get out of debt quicker, and get paid faster. So, but we tried a bunch of different things. So going back to your question, it's that ability Okay, it didn't work today. Let's try something different tomorrow. Okay, these two things of the five work today. Let's take those two forward. Let's add three more new things and iterate and create that flywheel effect. Okay, uh, I, I love that because um, it wasn't as if you had this old model and then you tried a new model and that's the one that worked. It, it was just, no the old model. We had the old model still had cash value. The old yeah, model yeah. Uh, once I discarded the, the employee salaries, the bank was very happy because we all of a sudden boom became very profitable. Yeah. I got rid of a bunch of a bunch of dead weight. And that, that was kind of the, the, the part that the bank liked. But I was ne- the, the math never worked. I was never going to dig out of the debt hole unless I came up with a different way to increase my margins in a highly competitive space. I mean, Kelly's World Headquarters was a mile and a half from my office. It wasn't like Big Brother wasn't literally right around the corner. Right. Combined with, we had to find that inflection point where I need to get paid faster, I need to charge you more, but I need to provide value that no one else provides. Mm-hmm. So we, we tried and we tried. And we, 
we literally, when I, I talked to my coach every week at that point, he's like, okay, so what did you try this week? What worked? What didn't? Keep what works. Get rid of what didn't. But don't get wrapped up in the fact that, well, you tr this week, nothing worked. Okay, well, there was weeks when nothing worked. Yeah, yeah. something new next week. I want to make sure we highlight that. A couple things. You, you each week kept trying. And here's the difference between uh, um, continuously trying and doing what you just said is that you paused, you reflected, and you said, okay, of what we tried, what worked, keep it, what didn't work, discard it. Yeah, and, and, be, and don't have pride of authorship. There's so many entrepreneurs that I've worked with, you know, I want to open an Italian restaurant in my hometown where there's 10 other Italian restaurants. But my mom's recipe is better than everybody else's. Right. Your chance of succeeding is pretty small. I don't care. You know, my mom might have the best recipe, but they're, they're, someone was there first. You want to open a restaurant? Why do you want to open a restaurant? If I get them telling me the story of being in their mom's kitchen, of that great family experience, maybe they can open another family-style restaurant that has a much greater level of success or a rate of success opportunity versus doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. It doesn't work. So true. Okay, so, so we're at the point now where you've tried something, you start to you start to figure out, hey, I think this is the right thing. When do, when's the point when you know, uh, I need to put a little gas on this. This is the right thing. So it was interesting. So when I fired everybody, I had always hired people who had an HR background or a recruiting background. But I flipped the script on that, and I really just started hiring good people. So I came with this way we call it hire for DNA, not for resume. So I heard all these people who, who came out of restaurant, retail, medical, uh, all these different areas where they wanted a little bit, a different world. You know, if you're working, if you're, you know, my, my number one guy worked at Olive Garden. He, he, he was working Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, crushing it from, you know, he's up selling it. He had all the right transferable yeah. skills. He was getting married. They were planning to start a family. He's like, yeah, working evenings and weekends is not going to work with my wife and is not going to work with a new baby. Yeah. I need something different to do. I'm going to take my skills. I can apply them to your world. Yeah. So I started hiring all these people and we came up with just simple questions and our customers told us what they needed. So, so someone would say, someone would say in a recession, nobody's hiring in the recession. They'd say, yeah, I don't need anybody. Okay. If you could only hire one, if you did need somebody and you had the, the budget to hire somebody, what would they look like? And we kept hearing the same thing over and over again. I need a high end skilled trade. CNC programmer who can do this type of software. But I just thought you said you didn't need anybody because listen, if I found this guy, I'd hire him tomorrow and I'd make room for him and ownership would give me permission because they're unicorns. So essentially we started calling ourselves unicorn hunters. We kept looking for the unicorns because if I got created a stable of unicorns, I flipped them back to the marketplace saying, hey, I've got Bob the unicorn. You can sell the, you can do these things. Are you interested? We went from being order takers from clients to essentially talent agents for blue collar people who had never even heard of anybody like us. And never so had we, a representative. Right. And, and they're like, oh yeah, that'd be great. And, and I'm working for this guy for free. So he's very engaged. Like, oh, you're gonna do it. yeah, the client's going to pay my fee. Perfect. And that really, once we figured that out by asking the clients what their hardest thing to do was, and yes, you, and I said to him, I said, well, you know, it's going to cost you more than your average temp. That's fine. When do you pay your people? We pay our people weekly. Well, I got to get paid weekly too because this guy's not cheap. Yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. So I started taking all the typical staffing industry's objections off the table because essentially what I did is I didn't, everybody was to the left focusing on what the client needed. 
I heard what the client needed, but I went to the right and focused on the marketplace I needed to pull those people from. I mean, this is back in the days before there was Indeed and, and yeah. LinkedIn hadn't yeah. come out yet. So if we could find those great, hard to find unicorns, we could then sell them back. And that's really where we saw the flip. Mm. That's good. That's good. Okay. You mentioned a transition, a early retirement, jealous, 51 and retired. Um, but, I, but I know from just this brief conversation, I know enough that, that you're not retired. You just, you're switched into a new career. Right. Talk to me about the next 10 years. Well, the next 10 years, I'm, my plan is twofold. One, uh, I want to continue to talk in front of audiences about the, the, the pitfalls and the challenges of entrepreneurship, how to, how to reframe your mindset around those challenges, and then how to grow a successful life by design. And entrepreneurship and business ownership can, make, can possibly be part of it. But what does a life by design look like for you as a parent? What does a life by design look like for you as a husband or a wife? What does a life look like by, by design for you if you're a millennial student? So I've been in front of a lot of audiences, and I, and I kid you not, the person who got it the best was a nine-year-old kid in Toronto, Canada, <laughs> who came up and he wrote this whole thing. I was like, oh, so Mr. Todd, if I, if I fail 12 times, I'm just getting started. Well, I, tell me more about that. His name was Alec. I said, tell me more about that, Alec. He's like, well, you know, as long as I'm trying and I'm learning and I'm trying and I'm learning and I'm trying and I'm learning, I'm never going to fail. That's right, buddy. Kid gives you this big bear hug. Mom's giving me a hug. I guess he had some real self-esteem issues. That's why she brought him to my speech. I mean, it, it, it just tugged at my heartstrings. So now Alec is slide number 17 in my presentation because he's impacted my life that much so that cool. he gets it. So, yeah. but most of my time is really not spent. I, I do coaching for executives, coaching for entrepreneurs, and I help them build a life by design. And I take the, the vision they have for their business and their core values of their life or vice versa, the core values of the business and the mission statement for their life. We bring them together because there's a nine out of 10 times there's a disconnect and we help them get basically put gasoline on the fire and grow them. If I just had a client the other day, send me a testimonial video out of nowhere. One year he's worked with me, his business has grown 70%. His profits have grown by a factor of five X and now he loves his life because every Wednesday it's grandkid day and it's blocked out. He's got an appointment with himself, permission to himself to spend time with his grandkids. But once he got unstuck of what life quote unquote should look like versus what life could look like, look like that freed up his creativity. That's why his business has grown. Mm. That's, why, that's why his relationship with his kids have grown and his grandkids have grown. So he just, we were able to help him switch that paradigm to see life differently. So cool. So cool. Thanks for sharing that story. Todd, how do people get in touch with you? You know, the best place to catch up with me is I'm, I'm on all social media channels. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, uh, I'm on Instagram. But if anybody wants to engage with me, I'm happy to give anybody who mentions they heard me on your show today a 30-minute free consult to talk about whatever they want to talk about. We can talk about life by design. We can talk about the ink list. We can talk, we, we can talk about literally whatever's going to be attractive to you to get you unstuck. And reach out to me at extraordinaryadvisors.com. Fill in the, con the contact section and I'll book you on my calendar promise within 24 hours and we'll have a conversation. Oh man, that is so gracious of you. I appreciate it. Um, last question. And I like to end with this just because uh, you know, you've referenced it many times and I know it and, and it's man, I just only if I knew what I knew now and, and I can, and you know, we keep learning and we keep learning, but take me back to your 20 year old self. What would be the one piece of advice? Well, I think from an overall life perspective, yeah. I would focus on intentions, not expectations, 
I was the guy who expected this and expected this and expected this. And if I just put in the time, this is going to happen. And what I've learned from parenting to entrepreneurship to personal relationships is the intention of having a great life, the intention of being a great parent, the intention of being a great partner, a great entrepreneur is much more powerful and much more flexible than the expectation of being all those things because expectation is win-lose. Intention is and both. Good night. You crushed that one. That might be the best 20-year-old piece of advice that I've had anyone say. That was, that was excellent, Todd. I oh, thanks. It. Listen, each week, our goal is to bring encouragement and confidence to our listeners. You definitely delivered, Todd. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, enjoy the conversation. Thank you for having me. Likewise. 